Thank you so much, Brother Greg, and leading us in prayer. What a wonderful morning of worship already. I'm glad that you're here uh, with us today, and I encourage you to open your Bible and find with me the book of Romans. And yes, we're in Romans again, and we're in chapter number seven today. But before we get to that text, I just want to read, and I want you to just listen to this text from Isaiah. I think it fits with the songs that we've just been singing and the prayer that Brother Greg just led us in. Now listen, listen to the words of the prophet. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let them return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will freely forgive. Amen. Amen. Today, I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, to Romans chapter number 7. Romans chapter number 7. And we're going to begin with verse number 1. And so, uh, as you remember, we're restarting, picking up the series of sermons that we've been preaching through the book of Romans most of this year. And uh, we took a break here in the summer for a couple of short series in Jeremiah and on the church and now we're coming back to, uh, as we start this fall semester, we're starting again in the great book of Romans, and we're in chapter number seven today. Now, before we uh, read the text, just a reminder in a way of review, Paul is writing to believers, both Jewish and Gentiles, who live in Rome. So he's writing to the church that's there in Rome. Paul has never been to Rome. He's never seen the church or visited with the church family in Rome. And he's writing from Corinth. And he's telling them about, he's trying to encourage them in their faith. He knows they have some struggles. He knows there's some tensions between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. He's writing to encourage them in their faith. He's writing to inform them that he's planning on coming to see them very soon, and he can't wait to have spiritual fruit among them and preach the gospel there in Rome where they're worshiping the Lord. He's telling them of his plans. He plans to go to Spain and go on a missionary trip, taking the gospel as far away as Spain. And he's hoping that they'll partner with him and support his ministry efforts there. But in this great letter, he's laying out the gospel that he preaches. That we are justified by faith through Jesus Christ. And that we cannot save ourselves. This is the great teaching of this book of Romans. So the first part of Romans, chapter 1, through the end of chapter number 3, 
It is the universal state of our condemnation. The truth of the matter is we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is none righteous, no, not even one. And all of us have gone astray and all of us are condemned. Whether Gentile or Jew alike, we've all broken God's law and we're under his wrath. Second point that he makes begins in chapter 3 through the end of chapter 5. And in that great section, he's teaching us of God's provision for us. While we're condemned and lost and lawbreakers and deserving of death, God in his great love has provided for our justification through the atoning work of Jesus Christ for all of us. Are you all awake today? Isn't that the greatest news in all the world? And then God's provision in this section we're looking at today, he's beginning his provision for our sanctification. God not only has saved us, but he is saving us. He is cleansing us and changing us. And so chapter 6 through chapter number 8, he's speaking about our sanctification. First of all, he wants us to understand in chapter 6 that our position in Christ Jesus, that we are dead and uh, we have been raised up and we're seated in Christ, that the believers have behavior as a sanctified believer, as God is doing his work in us, how it should change our allegiance to be to Christ and not to the old way that we used to live. In chapter number seven, he's helping us understand the conflict between the law and our sinful flesh. In chapter number eight, he talks about the freedom from condemnation, our position as heirs in Christ, And our confidence as God's elected people, that God has begun a good work into us that he will bring to completion. Amen? So this is sort of an outline of Romans and a review, and I wanted to take a few minutes to do that today. Now, look with me to chapter number seven, and we're going to begin with verse number one. Since I'm speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, Don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law regarding her husband. So then, if she's married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. Then, if she married another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. But for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law since we've died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Amen. Father in heaven, 
speak to us today through your word as we study it together. Heavenly Father, I pray that today we might understand the new position that we have in Christ, the new relationship that we have with the law, and the wonderful glories of your grace that you have lavished on us in Jesus Christ. Father, today, if there's one soul here today, one person who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today they might turn from sin and trust in Christ and find freedom and life. Lord, eternal life is found in Jesus Christ, your Son, alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, chapter number seven is really, some have said, an exposition of chapter six, verse 14. Chapter six, verse 14 says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. And so Paul is saying that no longer sin should dominate your life because you don't live underneath the law, but you live under grace. You see, law and sin are closely related to one another. In chapter 6 and chapter 7, there are many parallels between law and sin. But the difference is that law is never sinful, but law exposes the sin that is in us. The law reveals sin. The law condemns a sinner. The law defines sin as transgression. The law brings wrath on us as lawbreakers. It's added so that transgressions might increase, but the law cannot save us. Only, only the grace of God in Jesus Christ can save us from all of our sin. So three things that we're going to look at today. Number one, if you're taking notes, the, the law, all right? These three ideas, the law, the flesh, and the release from the law. Now notice, and notice the law, verses one to three, it says, I'm writing to you. And first, so, so notice as he's writing to us, he, he's, he's saying there's this jurisdiction of the law that all of us are under. He's speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters. Don't you know the law rules over someone as long as he lives? So we're all under the law. We're under not only the Old Testament law, but the law of what we know is right and wrong. And that law is operative, in, in a, and there's a jurisdiction. So he asks a question first in verse number one, and the question is, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? So a law is operative. He understands, says, you understand this. He says it has power and authority as long as those, uh, that relationship is still a living relationship. And when, the, when that, that legal relationship is suspended or gone, when a person dies, when there's been a death, the law is in effect as long as you live. But once you died, then that law no longer has power over you. The second thing he wants us to understand about the law is its permanence. It is a permanent thing. It is, 
the, the law doesn't go away. It doesn't quit existing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and leads others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Second, thirdly, I want you to understand the purpose of the law. What is the purpose of the law? Look with Romans chapter number 3, verse 19. Now, are you all awake today? All right, I want you to stay with me. This, this is profoundly important. But stay with me. Well, I'll show it in the illustration in a moment. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law. So that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Without the law, we couldn't understand our sinful condition. It is one of the purposes of the law. The law also, when it comes, exposes this sin nature that is rampant within us and is killing us. This is God's good purpose in giving us the law. So we might know what's true. We might know what God expects of us, but it also exposes the sin that's in us. Fourthly, the law is perfect. Some might say, was well, there something then wrong with the law, bad in the law? No. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. God forbid, no way, Jose. But I, yeah, I would have not known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. Wow. Do you hear Paul here? He's saying, when I thought about the law as a young man, when I thought about my life, when I thought about keeping the Ten Commandments, I thought maybe I'm doing pretty well. But then when I got to thou shalt not covet, I realized that coveting was inside of me. Coveting was consuming me. I coveted what others wanted. I coveted others' positions. I covered, coveted authority. I coveted things of others or positions of others or prestige of others, power of others. This law, this law breaking was in me. And when I understood how covetous I was, I realized I was a lawbreaker in every area of the law. I am under, I am broken because sin rules in me. Listen to what it says in verse number 12. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. There's nothing wrong with the law. Verse number 14, it says, the law 
is spiritual, but I am the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. Finally, when it comes to the law, he wants us to understand its limitations. When you understand the limitations, there's certain things that the law cannot do. In chapter number 5, verse number 20, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 3, verse number 20. Listen to God's word. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes to the law. But now, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. Wow, the law can't save you. The law reveals our problem, but we are saved. We are made righteous by Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Chapter 28. Folks, just tell your neighbor right now, you can't earn your way to heaven. All right, so that they hear it more clearly, you are not good enough to get in. And you're not. For we conclude, verse 28 of chapter 3, we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there's one God who will justify Listen, the circumcised, the Jews by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Here's two things the law can't do. The law can't justify you. And the law can't sanctify you. That is the work of God in Christ. Amen? Amen? All right. He uses an illustration. He says, you know the jurisdiction of the law. You know it in, and he uses the illustration of the law concerning marriage. And so let's think about marriage law in the first century. A man and a woman are married. How long are they married? As long as they live. And as a matter of fact, you're bound to one another as long as you live. And the only way that that marriage covenant is broken, especially from the wife's point of view, who had less rights, less divorce rights, in the New Testament days, then you were bound to that husband as long as he lives. And the only way that you could be united with a different husband was if he died. So that was the law. That was 
the institution that was, you were married. So just imagine for me a moment with me that you were married to the perfect spouse. Some of you are saying, I already am. I mean, this is just the perfect spouse, perfect husband. He does everything perfectly. Never, ever does anything, never screws up, ever. Never makes a mistake. When he mows the grass, it's manicured perfectly. When people drive by the house, they say, I've never seen a lawn so perfectly manicured. When he cleans the house, he cleans it perfectly. When he washes the dishes, there's not a spot. And when he puts the dishes away, there's always in order. There's never any dust, not even cobwebs under the bed. There's no dirt anywhere. He is absolutely perfect. He cleans perfectly. If he folds or irons, when he folds the shirt, he folds it perfectly. When he stacks, some of you are saying, where do I get this person? <laughs> when he irons a church shirt, the creases are always perfect. But he also points out imperfections. So when you iron that shirt, he says, hmm, that's not quite right. We need to do it like this. Or when you wash a dish, he says, hmm, there's spots there that need to be cleaned. Or when you put dishes away, he says, hmm, no, they, they should go in this order. I hear you all saying, hmm. When you clean the house, he says, you didn't get close enough to the baseboards and clean that properly. And he does everything always perfectly. He's always in good shape. When you put on five or ten pounds, he says, hmm, looks like you're gaining some weight. You need to eat more properly. Now, how's that going to fly at your house, by the way? He's not mean about it. He's just pointing out the truth. You're adding weight. You need to eat better. And so when you start to eat, he says, you know, that's not good for you. You should eat like this. He doesn't make any mistakes. He points out all of your mistakes. He doesn't hold grudges. He never gets angry. But he's always perfect. And there's never grace. Would you like to be married to that kind of person? No. And so you say to our, yourself, okay, i got to get out of this marriage. I hate this. This is terrible. So you say, how do I get out? My only, he's got to die. You get up the next morning, he's on the treadmill. He is perfect shape, always eats right, and you say, he'll never die. I'll forever be with this person. And then a thought comes to you. He won't die, but I can die. That's what Paul says. 
The law doesn't die, it's good. But we're sinful. But we can be set free by dying to the law and be united with another. And that's the Lord Jesus. Isn't that awesome? This is the law. Second concept is the flesh. Now notice with me again to Romans 7, verse 5. Look with me in verse number 5. For when we were in the flesh... Now the word flesh in verse 5, it's the Greek word sarx. It's translated flesh or carnal. It's car- uh, and so it's the idea of our bodily flesh, but more than that, it's the flesh that is negative in its relationship with God. And his authority. Verse 5. For when we were in the flesh. The sinful passions. Aroused through the law. Were working in us. To bear fruit. For death. Notice in verse number 5. There are sinful passions. Within our flesh. You all know about these. These passions. Are in us. Passions that are self-serving. Passions that are sensual. Passions that are rebellious. And they are aroused by the law. So when the law comes, then it arouses in us these passions. There's, you know this is true. I was talking yesterday. I, I, I went to visit with my mother who's been very sick. And they've got her on a special kind of diet. And so we were talking together about this diet that she is on. And she said, you know, when we go to eat, I'm not supposed to eat anything with potatoes in it. And, I, I, and I'm not to eat certain things. And she says, and well, I just, when we go out to eat, I just want mashed potatoes. But why does she want mashed potatoes or baked potatoes? Because she's told she can't have them. Now she wants them. That's all she can think about is that's what I want. Diabetics face this same thing. We feel the restrictions from what we should eat, but that makes you want those things even more. Why is that true? Tell me you can't have a milkshake. All I can think about is Bobby's right now. It arouses these things in us, but not only arouses the desire, but it leads us to do rebellious acts. Notice verse number 7. What shall we say? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would have not known what it is to covet if the law has said do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced coveting of every kind apart from the law of sin. This is, we do what, when the law says don't do it, The rebellion in our flesh wants to do it. If a shopkeeper puts a sign in the window that says, do not throw a rock through this window, how long does it last before there's a rock through the window? You see a sign, keep off the grass. 
I know when I walk by a sign that says, keep off the grass, I can't help it. I just get one foot off the edge just because of that rebellion in me. Those of you with toddlers know, don't touch this. Evie loves to go to the doorstop and take them off the baseboard. Her mother and father tell her a million times, don't touch that. Don't do that. When they're not watching, it's like a beeline over there to do that. You tell them, don't touch it. Don't open the cabinet doors. How many times will they open and close the cabinet doors? You can tell them, but they're still doing it. Light plug, you know, electrical outlets. Don't touch that. But they want to go touch that. Oh, it's not just in toddlers. 65 miles per hour. I'm going to drive 67 at least. Why? Because I don't want to be under the law. And you know what's inside of me? Rebellion against the law. Interesting story told centuries ago by St. Augustine. He was quite a rascal as a boy and was involved in thievery and stealing. And he tells this story. I'm going to read part of it to you today. Listen close. There was a pear tree near our vineyard laden with fruit. One stormy night, we rascally youths set out to rob it and carry away our spoils. We took off a huge load of pears, not to feast on ourselves, but to throw them to the pigs, though we ate just enough to have the pleasure of forbidden fruit. They were nice pears. It was not the pears that my wretched soul coveted, for I had plenty better at home. I picked them simply in order to become a thief, And the only feast I got was a feast of iniquity that I enjoyed to the full. What was it that I loved in that theft? Was it the pleasure of acting against the law in order that I, a prisoner under rules, might have a maimed counterfeit of freedom by doing what was forbidden? The desire to steal was awakened simply by the prohibition of stealing. This is the sin that's in us. And this sin pays off in deadly fruit. Verse number 5, chapter 7, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law We're working in us. And what kind of fruit does it bear? To bear, what's it say? Fruit for what? Death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Notice verse number nine. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again. And I died. The commandment was meant for life. Resulted in death for me. 
for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it, killed me. The wages of sin is death. The law exposes our sin. The law activates this sin in our flesh. It increases it. And it condemns us as lawbreakers. And we are under the sentence of death, rightly deserved. You say, Brother Tim, what's the good news in all this? I'm glad you asked. And that brings us to the next thought that's here in Paul, and that's the release from this condition. In in chapter 7, now back to verse 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another. You belong to him who raised him from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. The death of the law to you happened when you understood your sin and you turned from sin and you trust Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior. And Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he fulfilled the law of God, completely satisfied it in his righteousness. And Jesus Christ, when he hung there dying for you, when you turn to him by faith and trust him, then you have died to the law. You're not underneath the jurisdiction of the law, but now you're under the law of love because the love of Christ constrains us. You, God has changed this whole relationship and now you are united with another and that's King Jesus and he loves you. He's not like the law. He fulfilled the law and he changes you. And when you're united with him, when you're married to him, when you become one with him, then you're adopted by Christ and he transforms you. You're in him and he's in you. And you bear fruit. And now it's not fruit of death, but it's the fruit of life. It's fruit for God. What does it mean, fruit for God? It means obedience to God. Love for God and love for your brother. And forgiveness of others. And faithfulness and joy. It's the transformation that only Christ can bring. And he brings an intimacy into your life. And it's the intimacy of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Chapter 7, verse 6. But now we've been released from the law since we've died to what held us. That we may serve. Now listen, verse 6. That we may serve in the newness, the freshness, the intimacy of the Spirit. And not the old letter of the law. You serve in the newness of the Spirit. The relationship is not a legal relationship. It's a living, loving relationship. You've turned from sin and trusted in Christ. And Jesus Christ has forgiven you and washed you clean of all of your sins. And he has converted you, changed you. And he's now written his law on your heart. And you want to obey God, not because it's the law over you, because it's Christ in you. This is transformation, and it's hope. 
under the old law, you labor, you toil, you're defeated, you fail. But now you're in a new relationship. In the old relationship, you always felt condemnation. In the new relationship, it's all different. Romans chapter 8, we'll skip ahead for just a moment. We'll come back to the, We're just going to skip fast forward a little bit. Don't tell the second hour. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Look, he says, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse number three, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the spirit, flesh, but according to the spirit. Wow. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus died our death. Jesus rose again victoriously. Jesus has made us right with God. Jesus has given us of his Holy Spirit. Jesus has saved us by grace, not our works, through faith. Jesus has put the law of God in our hearts. It's not over us to condemn us, but it's in us because we love God and he lives in us. He has transformed us. Can somebody say praise the Lord? So why am I living defeated? That's the question. Why do I feel enslaved to sin? What do I, why do I do what I don't want to do and why can't I do what I want to do? The answer is in your relationship to the law and your relationship with Jesus. And some of you think that your sanctification is found back under the law. It is not. Your sanctification is in your relationship with Jesus. Walking in the Spirit, Jesus is working in you. Are you led by the Holy Spirit? Or are you trying to keep rules and regulations? Are you trying to earn salvation or sanctification? Look, the law is holy, the law is perfect, but the law can't save you and the law can't sanctify you. That's the work of God in you. Galatians chapter 5, Paul speaks to this. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, now listen close. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Hallelujah. 
One of my favorite verses of Scripture in all of the Bible is found in the book of Galatians chapter 2. And Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I have some questions I want to ask you today. Our praise team's coming. But listen, don't be distracted. Do you know him? Have you trusted him alone as your Savior? Are you still trying to earn his favor? Do you hear voices of condemnation? Voices that say, you're not good enough. You're not perfect enough. You're not worthy enough. This is not the spirit. But it's the condemnation of the enemy using the law. Today, come to Jesus. And when you come to him, you will find life. Amen? Listen. Jesus said, come unto me, all of you who are burdened and heavy burden laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Liberty is found in Jesus alone. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you. Your word is powerful, it's true, it's transformative. I pray that today we'll turn from sin and turn from our striving and turn away from our desire to be law-fulfilling. Law Lord, may we turn to Christ and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, will you?